I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted, to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hi, how's it going? It's great. How are you? I'm doing great. Fully, fully summered. Yeah. Have a good weekend. I had a great weekend. Um, swam a lot. Yeah. On a beautiful lake and sat on a beautiful swing and ate some good food, had some barbecues. I you? definitely did exactly the same with all my messy buddies. Went yeah. camping, swimming, played some games, just... My first ever camping trip, so it was great. special. How did you, you slept in a tent? I did. How did you find it? Because they can be... Difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would do it again for sure. Like, it was a lot of yeah. fun. Were it, you really cold at night and really hot in the morning? It wasn't, it was so warm out always yeah. that I, I was fine. Yeah. Um, but I slept in a, possibly a one-person tent with two people. Mm-hmm. So... Like two other people? No, just one other person. Okay. So... It was, uh, and we had one air mattress, so it was a little bumpy. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, it was like a, the best weekend. I'm, I'm so glad I went, and I just love all my messy peeps. So that's amazing. Yeah. Was there any skinny dipping? 
Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, all right then. There's definitely some like midnight or past midnight swims. And... Oh, that's the best kind of swims. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Well, folks, today we are going to, well, Lynx is presenting an episode. I think mm-hmm. this has been sort of a long time in the making and a high re- highly requested um, subject. Yeah, Cynthia Lennon. Cynthia Lennon. Cynthia and John. The OG Beetle Wife. Yes. Yeah, this one's going to be interesting. Uh, before we get into it, though, let's give a shout out. Yeah, we want to talk about um, our web, like our our podcast hosters yes so these are the good people jeff and aisha over at peterborough independent podcasters and i guess just like i'm really surprised that we haven't talked about them more in the past because they were really integral integral into you know you know what i mean in um getting our podcast off the ground like we had had the idea and we did all of the recording and then it just came to a point where we're like, where do we even put it on the internet and how do we put it on iTunes? And they were there, right, exactly when we needed them. And they have continued to be there throughout this whole like 80 episodes. Yeah. And it's just they're fantastic people doing great work. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. you are in Canada, probably even the United States, I don't even think that you have to be in Peterborough to be a part of them if you ever thought about creating your own podcast they have online seminars and they have things where you can go into you know the community and learn for yourself the art of podcasting Podcasting. and learning all the audio techniques and if you ever need anything from there they get back to you in two seconds great support system great support system and it's just uh they're amazing so that's our website has always been musesandstuff.ptbopodcasters.ca. And if you were wondering, like, why isn't it just musesandstuff.com? It's because we've had such good things with them. And it's such a user-friendly website. We've never needed really to expand beyond that. Now that things are picking up and we're with rock and roll archaeology, you yeah. know, there's more. And everybody's been so great to be able to stick with everyone. Yeah. So you can listen to our web, our stuff on, um, you know, rock and roll archaeology's iTunes, on our iTunes, through the Peterborough Independent Podcasters website. And it's all just one big happy family. So thank you to them and to everybody. And Absolutely. Yeah. If you want a podcast, you want to start a podcast, you want to do a podcast, they are the place to go. And look, we're on 81 now, so Mm -hmm. that's crazy. Episode 81, Cynthia Lennon. Yeah. Let's Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. Uh, Cynthia was born Cynthia Lillian Powell, uh, September 10th, 1939. In case anyone's interested, John Lennon was October 9th, 1940. So she's a a year older. Oh, cool. Older woman. Yes. Uh, Her early childhood was very much like all the other kids in Britain at the time. Uh, It was during the war. They lived on rations and, you know, bombs were being dropped. And that was sort of their norm or the threat of bombs being dropped. Uh, she had two older brothers, Charles and Tony, and she 
I don't, she was kind of like trained that boys kind of took precedence over girls. You know, she would take kind of the scraps, the hand-me-downs. Uh, she would help her mother tend to household duties, you know, very early on. Like that was the standard for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time Cynthia was 10, both her brothers had moved out. So it was just her and her parents. Uh, her dad worked for a place called GEC and he sold appliances to shops and things like that. And when Cynthia, um, she got into a junior art school, she would take the train with him on the mornings and the evenings to Liverpool and back. She was from Liverpool originally, all of them were, but um, they had moved to a place called Rural, I believe it's called. Uh, How do you spell that? W-I-R-R-A-L. W-I-R-R-A-L. Rural. Yeah, who knows? Um, It was kind of marginally safer at the time with, you know, the bombs and everything in the war. So uh, that's where they were living. But spent much of the time in Liverpool. Cynthia's mom, she kind of also had an artistic side, but mostly stuck to, you know, being a housewife. That's, you know, what life was like back then. So I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when Cynthia was 17, her father passed away from lung cancer. It hit him very hard, very fast. And it, of course, left them grieving and very much worried for the future. Um, before he passed away, he told her, you know, we don't have enough money for you to go to college, even though Cynthia desperately, desperately wanted to go. Um, but her mother really knew of her dreams and maybe because her mother never got that opportunity, she really insisted that Cynthia go. So in 1957, when Cynthia was about 18, she enrolled at the Liverpool College of Art. Cool. Yes. So Cynthia was already dating a guy around this time. His name was Barry. He was five years older. They'd been together for around a year, talked about marriage and everything. She lost her virginity to him, uh, and she had this to say about it. Um, I didn't think much of it. Over in a flash and no fun. (laughs) Uh, But still, somehow, she was devastated when he broke up with her for someone else. And she even took him back when when that situation didn't work out. Okay. Yeah. I should have mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I read Cynthia Lennon's book. It's called John. It's a fantastic book. I'm basing most of this off of that book. So shout out to that book. Read it. There's still so much in there. I definitely did not put every story. Like, there, if you're into the Beatles, if you're into John and Cynthia, like read it. Read it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a great summer read. Yeah. It's really good. And I can't wait to love John and hate John at the same time. Oh, yeah. That's definitely... It starts out so happy, right? I guess that's... Most relationships do. And definitely these rock and roll relationships, so... Oh, yeah. So let's let's get into... John's about to... Let's get into it. John's about to enter Cynthia's life. She had started her second year of college. She was feeling good. She was finally sort of developing her style. She had felt she was kind of mousy at first and like all these other girls were much prettier than her and everything but she'd grown out her hair she was ditching her glasses which she very much needed to see um but those were off any chance that you know unless she was working on schoolwork they were off um she had specialized in graphics and lettering this term and she was sitting in class one day waiting for class to start and she felt this tap on her shoulder and she turned around to find this teddy boy who was you know standing there like hey 
and uh, he introduced himself. He said his name was John. Now, John was a bit of a nuisance. He uh, came to class completely unprepared. He pestered Cynthia for equipment. Um, This became the norm. Lost me pencil. Yeah, exactly, exactly. This became the norm with John always sitting behind Cynthia in class, kind of bugging her for things. And uh, apparently John had been forced into that class. So he spent most of the time giving, I quote, wicked commentary on the teacher or provoke hoots of laughter with his cruelly funny and uncannily accurate cartoons of teachers and fellow students. So basically he was your typical class clown. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia was very much used to kind of clean cut proper boys. So she really wasn't impressed. She was like, who's this teddy boy always making these jokes? Uh, John sensed this and he had a nickname for her, which was Miss Prim. Mm. And he definitely would tease her all the time for her kind of poshness and properness. But over the weeks, Cynthia kind of found herself looking forward to seeing John in class. And a schoolmate had told Cynthia about John's mother passing away, which happened the previous term. And with Cynthia having the same experience with her father, she kind of felt like we have this connection there. And, oh, maybe he's acting this way because he's grieving. And, mm. you know, he's trying to make up for that grief. And uh, they began chatting more in class and she was beginning to feel a connection with him. John always had his guitar slung around his back and sometimes after class he would play for her and she says as soon as he began to play I saw a different side of him it was plain that he loved his music his face softened and he lost his usually cynical expression so one day after class Cynthia was packing up and her other classmates had left and John picked up his guitar and he played ain't she sweet for her so Cynthia's heart was fluttering and, you know, she was like, oh, maybe he, maybe he likes me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. My heart would be fluttering too. Yeah. So Cynthia was still dang Barry. Uh, so this was a little much for her. And she had a best friend who was named Phyllis, who she calls Phil. So I'm going to call her Phil. And Phil was like, no, you're not falling in love with john like no yeah if only cynthia had like an instagram facebook poll back in the day (laughs) who do i choose john or Or barry Barry. and then it would be like you know people could vote and it would be like exactly but she would still want john okay the heart wants what it wants and she was starting to wonder like maybe i should try to get him so Cynthia had overheard John praising this other girl for her looks, being like, oh, my God, that girl looks just like Brigitte Bardot, because that, of course, was John's, like, ultimate. And uh, Cynthia went to the hairdressers (gasps) and dyed her hair a little brighter, and it definitely got got John's attention. Yeah, it definitely got his attention. Um, Around Christmas, I guess, the students were putting together this little holiday party, and um. John came up to her at the party and was like, do you want to dance? And they were dancing to Chuck Berry. And he finally said, like, do you fancy going out with me? And uh, Cynthia was so taken aback. I guess she never expected this moment to actually happen that she said to him, oh, I'm sorry. I'm engaged to a fellow from Hoylake, which was Berry. And John's reply was, I didn't ask you to fucking marry me, did I? And then he stormed away like a baby. (laughs) 
John. <laughs> and nobody is surprised. Yeah. But by the end of the party, John had plucked up enough courage again. And um, him and his friend asked <gasps> Cynthia and Phil to go to a pub after the party. So Cynthia was like, okay, maybe I didn't miss my chance. So they get to the pub, and then John proceeds to ignore her for, like, the entire time. So she's like, well, f- screw this, right? So she's like, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm not staying here. That finally caught his attention. And he was like, no, 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 stay. So she was like, okay. Okay. And Phil was like, no, no. But she, she was like, you go, you go. And Phil was like, fine, I'll go. So her and John hung out at the pub and then they went out for this long walk and John kissed her. Uh, She says, as soon as we left the pub, John kissed me a long, passionate, irresistible kiss. He whispered his friend Stuart had a room. Yeah. Had a room we could go to. Grabbed my hand and pulled me down the road. I was happy, hugely happy to be with John and that he felt the same. At that moment, I would have gone anywhere with him. Uh, so I wonder if he was a good kisser. Well, well I guess she was kind of saying that he was. Like but he's is. got those little lips, right? He's got like those, he does mm, have those thin little lips. lips but does. Maybe he knew how to use those thin lips. I do have thin lips as well. Okay. And you know how to use them. I, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Well, Cynthia was about to have sex for the second time. And Ew. I'm happy to report this time it was much more successful. She says... We made love for the next hour. For me, it was special and very different from my previous brief experience, and I think equally special for John, whose cockiness and tough guy demeanor melted away as we lay wrapped in each other's arms. So Cynthia had to take the last train home, and John took her to the station, and as the train was pulling away, he was like, what are you doing tomorrow and the next day and the next? And Cynthia yelled, seeing you. (laughs) So adorable. Um, also I should mention John after, after all this happened, he was like, okay, you're no longer Miss Prim, you're Sin. So his nickname for her was Sin for like Cynthia. Mm-hmm. So, but also cause she naughty now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'm, I'm going to call her Sin a lot okay. from here on out. So. From now on, they're basically your typical couple falling in love, spending every spare hour together. Cynthia's friends were still like, no, like this can't be happening. But she was head over heels and really bent to John's will. Her schoolwork suffered. John would insist that she stay with him at all all possible hours. And she could only ever take the last train home because he wanted her to be with him until like they had to separate, basically. She says, he wanted me with him for as much of the time as possible, which meant that very early in our relationship, I had to choose between him and my other needs and and responsibilities. So very early on, she made that choice. And I wonder if we've got some foreshadowing here. The whole, I mean, you know, we've seen it before. Many episodes we've done is a woman giving up. A lot of a lot of who they are and themselves for yep. their rock and roll significant other. Absolutely. So I'm curious to see because I don't know anything about Cynthia. I'm curious to see if she continues with her art degree and if she gets a job or if she just gives it all up and is just a wife. Let's see. All right. Let's, let's see. Go. 
So John was really cute at this point in time. He would draw her these love letters and or write love letters and draw pictures on them. And Cynthia just kept falling deeper and deeper in love. Did she share any of those in the book? Like any photos of the letters? Didn't. Um, she does mention later on that she burned a lot of them and mm. that she does regret burning them. Yeah. Uh, she wrote, and this is, remember, this is early in the relationship she, she's writing this. It was neither an easy nor comfortable relationship. There was an air of danger about John, and he could terrify me. I lived on a knife edge. Not only was he passionately jealous, but he could turn on me in an instant, belittling or berating me, shooting accusations, cutting remarks, or acid wisecracks at me that left me hurt, frustrated, and in tears. He would push me away with some stunt, almost daring me to leave him. It was as if he wanted to prove that a girl like me would never stay with a boy like him. Now, unfortunately, Cynthia's reaction to all this is, I need to stick by him even stronger to prove him wrong. Yeah. You know, praying, I guess, this behavior is, is I can a passing. fix him. I can heal him. Exactly. Not. We've all been there. Not being like, oh, this is alarming. I should get myself out of this situation. It's not my place to try to fix any man. But she's 19. Yes. And yes, we've all been there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So a few months in, John actually took Cynthia to meet his Aunt Mimi, and Sin introduced John to her mom. The meetings went so well that they decided they should have another tea time where Mimi and Sin's mom could meet as well. That one did not go so well. Uh, Mm. Mimi made a remark blaming Cynthia for distracting John from his schoolwork, and of course, Cynthia's mom kind of flipped that around, blaming John, like, well, Cynthia's work is suffering, and it, clearly it's John. So interestingly, as they were bickering, John leapt from the table and stormed out of the house, and Cynthia found him on the street crying about it. Mm-hmm. So Mimi basically raised John, and we know John had a ton of mother issues, so obviously there's a lot of deep emotional things happening here. Um, Sin said that wouldn't be the last time that she'd see John in tears over something Mimi had said. Now, Mimi was a very stern woman who seemed to pick away at John's self-confidence. He would spend the rest of his life really trying to make her happy and proud of him. Uh, but she was a, a kind of like a tough love, like you can always do better type of woman instead of like celebrating milestones in people's lives. Like even when the Beatles were at their height, she was still kind of like complaining about it Mm. yeah uh which is very much more of like you hear that in fathers yeah yeah it seems more of like a father trait that you keep trying to please and nothing that you do is ever good enough exactly yeah um john got that from mimi Mm. uh i want to talk a little bit about john's mother his real mother he did have a relationship with her and that very much was revolved around music where Aunt Mimi sort of took on the stern mother role. His mom was actually like the cool aunt that came over and, you know, shook things up. She introduced him to Elvis and rock and roll. And she played the banjo and the piano. And oh. she, she bought John his first guitar. They would jam together and everything. Uh, she really, really encouraged his musical talents. Where Mimi was like, what are you doing playing around with these instruments? Like, get a real job type of thing, right? Um, Cynthia 
believes all of John's troubled behavior really stemmed from uh, his mother's senseless passing away. Um, she was hit by a car after leaving Mimi's house one day. Just It was actually a policeman that hit her. Seriously? Yeah. How did I not know this? Yeah. And John was 17, I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And they were just kind of, like, building a stronger relationship at that point. So Aww. it was, like, a horrible, horrible loss to him. Yeah, it's a tragedy. And it's that's very traumatic. Yeah. She was certainly one of John's biggest muses, too. He later wrote songs like Julia about yeah. her. Uh, that's his mother's name. And, of course, the song Mother, which is about his mom and his dad. And Mother is... 100% one of the few songs that can make me burst into tears. It every is time the it. saddest song in the world. Right? You can hear all the pain there. Like, yeah. Oh, it's so heavy. So heavy. When Cynthia met John, he was already in his band. They were called the Quarrymen, and Paul and George were in that band as well. At the yeah. time, yeah. At the yeah. time, Cynthia was 19, John is 18, Paul is 17, and George is 16. Now, Cynthia got them to watch them grow into a real band, and she says, It was fascinating to watch them teach each other new chord sequences, work out the tunes to popular songs, and begin to put together their own. Cynthia says from the beginning, John and Paul had a strong musical connection and had agreed early on that all their work, whether written solo or together, would be labeled as a Lennon-McCartney song. And uh, one of their first gigs was at a club called the Casbah. Uh, the boys actually painted the place in exchange for playing oh, a gig there. Cool. Yeah. It's like, just when you think you know everything about the Beatles. There's something new. There's always something new to learn. And it's so nice to hear how musicians built up their career. Like, no one starts at the top, right? Yeah. Like, it's nice to hear they actually had to paint a club to get a gig. This club was actually owned by Mona Best, Pete Best's mom. Pete would join on drums, but not for a few oh, months. Right. He was, it was still a few months before Pete joined and Stuart a few months before Stuart would join as well. Um, and shortly after or around this time, Stuart and John did become roommates. I guess Stu figured he might as well since John and Cynthia were using his place as mm -hmm. their like hookup spot. So I guess it's like, fine, just, just, just move in already. Right. Yeah. Um, Sin got along with everyone, uh, 
which was really good, except one day John's jealous streak came out, and you're going to hate John so much after I tell this part. Okay, so... Prepare yourselves. Let's all prepare ourselves. Prepare yourselves. It's like if anybody ever asked me, like, do you think differently about these musicians after, you know, 80 episodes of this podcast? It's like... Yes and no. Yes. Like, Personally, there are some times when I love them and will always love them. And there yeah. are some times when we hate them. Absolutely. And, and um, course, it's the same thing with Jimmy Page. It's the same thing with... Buckingham. Lindsay Buckingham. Marvin Gaye. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Personally, a lot of times they weren't the greatest people. That doesn't mean that they weren't talented musicians. You, mm-hmm. you do have to kind of separate that to enjoy the music 100%. All right, let's hear it. So, Cynthia and Stuart were having a friendly dance one night. John's reaction to this was to slap Cynthia very hard across the face, and her head knocked back into a, like a pipe, so she hit her head like, really bad as well. Ooh. Cynthia was shocked that his temper had turned violent. I'm not that shocked, but okay. Um, she did break up with him for this, uh, she, but she took him back after three months. She says, and this, this quote like broke my heart. She said, although he was still verbally cutting and unkind, he was never again physically violent to me. So it's like, it's okay be- that he was unkind because at least he wasn't hitting her. Mm. Yeah. She makes a lot of excuses for his behavior in the book. And while they may be real reasons as to why he was so troubled, it's still completely unacceptable that he behaved that way and she had to suffer through it in order to be a supporting partner to him. Right. And as we know, especially we dove into this in the Yoko Ono episode that I presented, like we ended up talking about his healing journey and um, sort of like path to not being a piece of shit. And so if you are not loving him by the end of this episode, then mm. we do love him. Anyways, I'm not going to get ahead we'll, of we'll myself. We'll see what happens. We'll but, see what happens uh, at the end of this. But, but we do, yeah. I mean, we do kind of go over that in the Yoko yes. episode, right? Like how yeah, he did a lot of different kinds of therapies. Yes, absolutely. So the Quarrymen are really beginning to make a name for themselves. They're playing more gigs, different clubs. They changed the name to the Beatles, of course. Um, for anyone who hasn't listened to the Stuart Sutcliffe, Astrid Kirscher episode, we cover everything that sort of happens from now until they kind of blow up. I don't want to waste all that time again going over that. Basically, they head to Germany. They have some residencies there. Cynthia, of course, sad to see him go. She was worried for the future, but also happy for him because he's playing his music. And um, she dived back into her art studies, which was good. Uh we know that John was having a wild time in Hamburg, but even still, he remained devoted to her. He wrote sin letters almost every day, many 10 pages long, covered in kisses and cartoons. Um, I had to read this one because it's hilarious. Uh, it said, the envelopes bore poems like, postman, postman, don't be slow. I'm in love with sin, so go, man, go. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And his letters could be as lewd as they were passionate, making her blush with references to his, and I quote again, massive throbber that he was having when he was thinking of her. (laughs) So, you know, John Lennon, poetic and horny. (laughs) 
Um, and yeah, Cynthia did destroy most of those letters, unfortunately. Um, when they returned after their first residency, Cynthia was amazed at how far the, the Beatles had progressed. And that's when they began playing the Cavern Club. And Cynthia got her first lesson in groupies or Beatlets, as John called them. I have never heard them called Beatlets before. Right? Well, John had a specific name for him. And while many were, you know, nice, or some were nice, I should say, many were very jealous and did not treat her nicely. Uh, she had to grow a thick skin really quickly. People were saying not nice things about her. People would just treat her, you know, badly because she was <laughs> dating John. Didn't Patty Boyd get death threats? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And I think God. Maureen got, like, physically attacked, like, clawed by yeah, one of them. Yeah. 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 The boys went back to Germany. This time, Cynthia got to visit, and she very much enjoyed that. Um, around this time, Cynthia's cousins were immigrating to Canada, actually. And they asked Cynthia's mother to join. She wanted to go, but of course, it was only if Cynthia was taken care of. Cynthia's mom, I'm talking about. Um, the solution to all this came with Cynthia moving in with John's Aunt Mimi, who normally took in boarders or lodgers so it, that wasn't like a strange thing so this time john came home it was without Stu because Stu stayed of course with astrid so john had no place to stay either so cynthia and john kind of both moved in with aunt mimi not together they had separate rooms and they didn't dare enter each other's rooms right with aunt mimi there you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Um, Cynthia also began at working at Woolworths at the cosmetics counter, and it's about around now that John and the Beatles are about to meet Brian Epstein. So it didn't take long before Brian could see the potential there, and he swooped in and became their manager, uh, living with Mimi, Cynthia did not find that easy. Which I bet is Brian's got an shock. incredible story. 
Oh, yeah. There must be books written about him oh, there is. and his life and his upbringing. Yeah, we got to do an episode on Brian for sure. We should do an Instagram poll. Do you want to hear an episode about Brian? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I've said that kind of with, with a bit of an attitude, but oh, it's not a bad idea. No, it's good. It's good. Yeah, he's he, he definitely, especially because, you know, he's a very layered person as mm-hmm. well. Anyway, okay. get back. Living with Mimi, not easy. The boys go back to Germany. They're on their third residency. Cynthia's like, I got to move out of here. I got to move out of here. So she moves out. She finds a place with her friend Dot, who happened to be dating Paul McCartney at the time. Um, Hell of a name. Yeah. Um, They weren't going to be dating for much longer, though, unfortunately. There's a story in there. Um, Of course there is. Yeah. Uh, Of course, we know on this third residency is when the band gets news about Stuart's passing. So that was a rough period for everyone, especially the boys, since they had to fulfill their contract and were unable to come home for a while. Cynthia was back home. She settled into her new flat. She still had her job. She was working on her school finals, and she was also teaching art at two schools. To She wanted to become an art teacher. Yep. She was quite busy. Brian was busy getting the boys' auditions. When they came home, they auditioned for George Martin at EMI. Of course, that went well. They were signed to Parlophone Records. Um, Before this was to happen, the boys decided it was time for Pete Best to make his exit from the group. Mm -hmm. They were cowards about it. They made Brian Epstein give him the bad news. And then they just avoided poor Pete. So he lost his band and his friends. Yeah, They're young. They're young. The boys knew who they wanted, though. They asked Ringo, will you like to join? After hearing that he left Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. Um, Interestingly, I thought this was really cool. Pete actually had quite a big groupie following, and the groupies were pissed, pissed that Pete got dumped. The Beatles actually got heckled by angry fans for weeks after they made this decision. Amazing. Right? Apparently, they got over it, though. Ringo joined. Everyone was happy. So while they're dealing with that, Cynthia has two big moments happen in one single day. She fails one of her exams. So she's like, do I do I do this all over? Do I become a teacher? She was finding it. She, she had two places she was teaching. One was going great. The other, they were older students, and she had a lot of trouble wrangling them in. So she was questioning whether that was right for her to begin with. So she failed her exam. That was a big deal. She also discovers she's pregnant. I had a feeling. Yes. Um, she says all the time her and John were together, they never used contraceptives since no one really talked about that back then. Uh, so it's really a miracle it took this long for that to happen. What happened? Yeah. What? No, I mean, like, what did know. she do? No, no, oh, no. What oh. happened? What did she do? Okay. Well, she broke the news to John, and he said, well, there's only one thing for it, Sin. We have to get married. Okay. Because that's what you did back then. Okay, right. So that is exactly what they did a few weeks later, August 23rd, 1962. She says, contrary to popular belief, John was actually very happy and in love and excited to get married, even though he did have worries about the effect the marriage would have on his musical career. Now, this is because Brian had really drove it into them that even having girlfriends would be terrible since all the fans wanted them single. So it that part was on his mind. 
Um, they were married at the register's office, Brian, Paul, and George by John's side, and Cynthia had his brother, to- her brother Tony, and his wife by hers. Um, after all, or after... Are there any pictures of the wedding? No, because mm. like... Um, Cynthia actually drew a picture of okay. the wedding because it was so sudden. It was like within a week or two, they just did it and it wasn't planned. Cynthia's mother wasn't even there. Mm. Yeah. Um, after they got married, they went to a nearby cafe for lunch. And this is really interesting. They only found this out later, but not only did Cynthia and John marry in the same spot that John's parents had, John's parents also went to the same cafe Aww. after. So, I don't know, maybe that's a bad omen, though, because obviously John's parents didn't stay together or become a loving family. Cynthia says John, at you know, at the beginning, he was very happy and loving husband and a father-to-be during this period. He was bringing her home flowers and gifts, and he bought their first pieces of furniture. The Beatles were recording their first single, which was Love Me Do. They were still playing gigs, uh things are getting a little bit crazy now Ringo's new girlfriend Maureen Cox as I mentioned she was attacked by a female fan so it was decided I don't think by Cynthia it was just decided maybe Cynthia shouldn't come to gigs because she's pregnant now we want her safe we don't want her attacked by fans or seen yeah fans maybe was so did, was this pregnancy taken to term? Is this Julian? This is Julian. You know what? I was like fully expecting for like, I don't yeah. know, for her to like lose, lose. the baby or I, something. So I don't quick. know why. Yeah. Um, sorry, as like morbid as that is, but I know that that's happened a lot in, in a lot of the of you know episodes that we've talked about. But like, no, it really happened. They, they're. Yep. Okay. Now. With Cynthia not going to gigs anymore, you know, she wanted, of course, to be safe. But she, she's also like, well, I'm not seeing much of John now because he's always busy recording or busy touring or, you know, she's quite lonely. Uh, she wasn't even allowed to wear her wedding wing out in case a f- fan spotted it. Yeah. Uh, John's Aunt Mimi was not at all happy with the marriage. Um, she eventually relented, though, and offered them the ground floor of her house. And once again... They accepted and moved back in with her. It was just as difficult this time around, unfortunately. Cynthia really did not like living there, but this is what it was. Uh, Love Me Do was released, and it kept crawling up the charts, and the boys would complete their fourth and fifth residencies in Germany. And they also recorded their next single, which was Please Please Me. And that was a big hit, and that reached number one. Mm. So Cynthia's spending more time hitting away at Mimi's, trying to kind of hide her marriage and her pregnancy. She's waiting for John to come back home, 
And, you know, he's out there becoming famous, basically. So when Cynthia went into labor, it was her friend Phil who brought her to the hospital. Unfortunately, they didn't let her stay or she could, like, there's a reason she couldn't stay. And Cynthia spent almost two days in labor all alone. Oh, Yeah, before no. Julian was finally born. And Julian was born on April 8th, 1963. So Aunt Mimi finally shows up after Julian is born. And John wasn't able to make it until three days later. So I guess it's no surprise that Cynthia was basically on her own when it came to figuring out how to be a mom. Yikes. And like, think about how different I think maybe a relationship would be between a father and a baby if he had been there during the birth to actually witness it. Absolutely. Right? To watch it and to be there and see what Cynthia went through and... What a shame. And not only that, but to be there every night for those first, you know, five years. That's important time for all parents and kids, you know. But touring and everything, that that was not possible. Um, Mimi only offered complaints about how little sleep she was getting. And John, when he was home, absolutely refused to kind of help change diapers and everything like that. That was like too much for him. Uh she does say he was, you know, loving and he loved being around the baby after the diapers were changed and he was cuddle him. And, you know, the boy's success was growing larger and um, they were releasing singles and topping the charts, you know, constantly now. Cynthia loved hearing them on the radio. And she said, John often told me that many of his songs were for me. He and Paul wrote from their experiences and because I was such a big part of John's life. I also became part of the fabric of his songwriting. Hell yeah. Yep. It was simply understood that his love songs were our songs. There were some extra special, such as All My Loving. John had written it during a time that we were so often apart, and I loved its tender romantic lyrics. That's such a good song. It is such a good song. I'll pretend that I'm missing the lips I and hope that my dreams will come true and then while i'm away i'll ride home every day and i'll send all my loving to you so cynthia is still very happy and in love with john and while it's hard to work or sorry well it's also hard work being a mom she loved being a mom she was, of course, missing the fun days of going out in public and seeing the boys live and, you know, hanging out with everyone. And so, you know, it was also really beginning to hurt her that they had to deny their relationship was real, uh, though he, she does insist it was Brian and not John who was making that call. Mm. Um, to make matters worse, Paul was now living with his new girlfriend, which was Jane Asher, and the press knew. And, of course, no one cared. But Brian was adamant, like, a wife and a kid would be just too much. So Cynthia is like watching Paul get to live a public life, but they can't. That's really sad. Yes. Um, John, and do you think the people would have liked the Beatles less or do you think they would have no, sold less records? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Huh. John sensed she was down. I, I, I assume he did because in August he suggested they have a belated honeymoon. They went to Paris 
someone cared for Julian, so they had this wonderful three-day vacation. Astrid Kirscher happened to be in Paris at the same time. They spent this crazy night drinking together and ended up in bed with like Astrid her friend and John and Cynthia like all four of them she doesn't say they slept mm-hmm. slept together she doesn't say they got okay wait ready. so it was Cynthia John Astrid and Astrid's girlfriend so John and three girls I, yeah love him and um, Cynthia- um I'm just gonna go ahead and just <laughs> say that there was a little bit of maybe Cynthia drew this really cute picture of them all in bed together that's in her book uh, so yeah, they were still hanging out with Astrid and, you know, while they were in the same cities together and stuff. So I thought that was cool. Now, Cynthia's mom must have been missing her and, of course, longing to meet her new grandson. So Cynthia's mom decides... her mom's in Canada yes, at this point. Yes. Do you know where? I don't know. Interesting. Cynthia's mom decides to move back to be close to them. Cynthia Sin hated living with Mimi. She decides, I'm, I need to move back with my mom. Good. Yes. So... They're living in these kind of tiny shitholes, basically, while John and the boys are now staying in these swank hotels everywhere they go. And Cynthia says, people have speculated on how I could have put up with it. Was I afraid of John? Not in the least. I put up with it because I didn't want to do anything to harm his career. And I had been told repeatedly that going public would do just that. I was loyal to John. And if he needed me to support him by lying low, that was what I would do. It wouldn't last forever. And I was strong enough to do it for as long as I had to. John was always loving and reassuring when we spoke. And I trusted him. I believed wherever he was, Julian, and I came first in his life. Yeah. So John finally came home in November with news that, you know what? Let's get a real house. Let's move to London. Let's do this proper. By now, Beatlemania had certainly, you know, blown up and it was a real thing. And before Cynthia could move to London to be with John, reporters snuffed her out. And soon the papers were running photos of Cynthia with baby Julian. And, you know, the world didn't end, basically. Yeah. Uh, John's career was as solid as ever. All that hiding was nonsense. It was proven to be kind of a load of bullshit. John didn't care that it had come out. And at least now Cynthia could stop worrying about, you know, whether she was an anchor on her husband's career or whatever. So around Christmas, Sin and Julian moved to London to be with John. Cynthia was so happy to be in the city and excited to explore. But within a few weeks, fans discovered where they lived and it became kind of a bit of a nightmare. She says that they would camp out on the pavement and wait for them to leave. And sometimes they'd even find them sleeping in the hallways because they were living in like a house but with other tenants. And if a tenant left the door unlocked, the kids would come in and they would swarm poor Julian and try to like cuddle the baby even and she does say that the majority were like well-meaning and very young but it was just like so it was never ending so many of them were just coming and coming coming. yeah time to move back to the country um the band still had yet to break in the states they were finally due to tour america and now that cynthia and john's relationship was public knowledge she was finally able to have some fun and join them for the trip Mm -hmm. Uh, she says for me the whole experience was amazing until then I hadn't seen the fans on that scale or understood how the boys felt when they were faced with that mass of people all screaming for them it was intoxicating exciting mind-blowing yet somehow unreal how could so many people be caught up in this vast wave of emotion over four young men so Julian goes you know 
she goes over the Ed Sullivan experience and all the Beatlemania madness like in the book and you can imagine what that was like um one funny incident that stands out on the American tour was in Miami she decided to kind of slip away and roam around for a while without any crazy fans around um but she'd left without her ID so she came back to the hotel and the security were like uh no like yeah you're John Lennon's wife like yeah they all say that right um, so she was like on the verge of tears trying to figure out like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And some fans were like at the side overhearing this and they were like, she's Cynthia Lennon. Like, yeah. she's the-. And they, they had like photographs of her with John. So they were like showing the security. Aww. And so Cynthia thanked them f- by getting them autographs from all the band members. And, uh, she That's said, sweet. right. She says that by, the end of the you know u.s tour Beatlemania had taken its toll on all of them and the boys uh were like not loving the fame at all they already felt very trapped by it and of course this is like what 1964 so even by then it was like this is out of control yeah and very much feeling trapped there was no time to slow down though because when they got back to london a hard day's night was about to go into production John was incredibly excited about starting this new adventure, and he had also, around this time, published a little book called In His Own Right, which was a collection of drawings and stories and sort of like John Lennon ramblings, I guess. Um, so he's extremely busy still. Cynthia's sort of learning to be a little bit more on her own, which, you know, of course, continues throughout the relationship. Um, of course, we know this is when Patty Boyd enters Yay. George's life. Um, Cynthia says the two Liverpool girls, Maureen and I, and the two London girls, Jane and Patty got on well from the beginning. We were all living through the same thing and it was wonderful to have friends to share it with. I bet there's like so many amazing photos of the four of them together. I like, I know I've seen them, but yeah, definitely have to post a couple of those. Absolutely, They're all so cute. I know. I I, Um, I really do want to learn more about, uh, Maureen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got to do an episode on Maureen, too. Okay. Should um, I do it or should you do it? You can do it. Okay. <laughs> Maureen was who Cynthia would always be closest with. They maintained their relationship, like, throughout. Within a few weeks, George and Patty, you know, they were dating. They were solid already. They joined Sin and John for a little weekend in Ireland. Um, of course, what started as a lovely weekend always turned into like a crazy press nightmare of them having to think up crazy ways to like leave the hotel and avoid all the fans and press. And uh, this time, John and George went out the front while Cynthia and Patty were put in a laundry basket and carried out <laughs> into a van. Okay, so that worked. But the only problem was no one opened the basket as after they got into the van. And the van took off before they could get out. So they rode all the way to the airport, bouncing around in this basket in the back of a van. That is like, freaking a out. nightmare, right? especially for people who are claustrophobic. Right? Of course, John and George had like a riot over that one. They just were like in tears laughing so hard when they finally got to the airport. Um, they also all went to Tahiti together a few weeks later for a more successful uh, vacation press free. So these times were very important to Cynthia since it was, you know, becoming the only time she ever really saw John was in these little interludes. When a hard day's night opened, of course it was a great success as was the album. 
uh, living in their small flat where Beatles fans could easily get to them was not an option anymore. So this time they moved out of London to Surrey to like a swanky area where other famous people like Cliff Richard and John Tom Jones. Who the hell is Cliff Richard? He's like a like a pop. He's a like a British uh, pop thing. Okie dokie. Um, they finally used some of that Beatles money that was coming in and they bought a 16 room house. Now, neither of them was used to having such money or such living space. So that kind of took some getting used to. Cynthia spent a lot of her time alone, uh, of course, but she would have her friend like Phil stay over sometimes and, you know, she tried to keep busy and Cynthia says as soon as they settled in the house, John insisted they get a cat, which they named Mimi after his aunt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apparently they would end up with about 10 cats okay. in the end. So John was a cat lover. Just wanted to throw that in there. TJ wants to get a cat. You should. I get to name it. Good. I already have the name picked up. What's the name? Hickory. Hickory? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any significance? I just like the you name. Like it? It's cute. It's cute. So soon, George and Patty and Ringo and Maureen would all move kind of within 15 minutes of each other. Um, this is George and Patty's psychedelic looking house, not the castle that they eventually ended up in. Whoa. Yeah. But uh, they both sound insane. Yeah. Once um, Maureen and Ringo got married and had Zach, I think it helped Cynthia that there was another Beatle wife and mother nearby to hang out with. And she says that they would go shopping constantly together and find things for the boys, like cool outfits and jewelry. So, of course, the Beatles' wives were helping style their men as well. Of course they were. Of course they were. Cynthia's happy now. The Beatles are all... BFFs and they're hanging together when they aren't doing Beatle, you know, related stuff as well. And they're really a family. They're young. They're enjoying their money. They're going out on the town all the time. Swanky premieres. Fancy I wonder parties. If, if we meditated hard enough and made some kind of seance, if we could go back and experience that through their eyes. Imagine that. Like, imagine going on vacation with the Beatles and, like, just being you and a couple of your girlfriends, you know, and you're all buds at this point. I think we probably have to meditate with some psychedelics to get to that level. That might be the only way. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, they're, like, they're enjoying it. She does mention a few clubs I thought I'd throw in. They're called um, the Ad Lib Club, Bag of Nails those were like two of their favorites other clubs like scotch of st james samantha's they're hanging out with of course all the other popular musicians of the time the animals the stones the who um sin specifically mentions having philosoph- philosophical conversations with keith moon interesting imagine, yeah would have been quite something yeah um speaking of psychedelics yeah and we're just about to get a little more into that too the Beatles, of course, were introduced to marijuana by Bob Dylan while they were touring in America. And um, that is something they were definitely continuing to do. Freaking Bob Dylan. Yeah. Um, it's funny because if you don't know the story, I'll just throw it in there. A little more trivia. Bob Dylan already thought that they were like stoners because he was hearing the lyric, I get high 
I get high instead of I can't hide. Yeah. So he was like, you guys get high? <laughs> well, we never have, but, uh, and he was like, what? Like, you were saying you get high in your songs. Like, no. So Bob Dylan turned it on, turned them on, and now they're doing it all over the place in England. Doing it all, <laughs> all over the over. place. Um, they were also invited to and hosted many dinner parties with fun guests. She mentions people like Dudley Moore, of course, Bob Dylan when he came into town, Joan Baez, Mike Nesmith from the Monkees even. Um, Cynthia enjoyed all this, but she says she never truly felt that she belonged. It brought out a lot of her insecurities, feeling that she wasn't sophisticated enough. And, you know, I'm just this small town girl like what do I have to offer to this oh yeah I can imagine that she would definitely be feeling that way for sure what's my role what's my place who am I other than just yep she did try to talk to John about it but he kind of would get impatient with her so she kind of kept a lot of it in he was probably like what do you mean you're my wife yeah that's who you are She's, but she's also now seeing beautiful women throwing themselves at John, and she's beginning to think it's possible. Maybe he is having an affair or has had affairs. Um, she d- mentions one specific time that a man named Bob, who I believe was a Beatles photographer, he came over to their house late at night, like banging on their door with his bawling wife, and demanded that they he speak to John and. Bob, his wife, and John go into a room together for like half an hour or something. Then they all come out. Them two leave immediately. Cynthia's like, what's that about? And John just kind of shrugs at her and won't say anything. And then very shortly afterwards, she heard that Bob and his wife were divorcing. So she was like, is this, was that an affair? Did, did John sleep with this woman? But of course, she never had any proof. So she would always just let it go. Sure. Uh, when they were together, John was still loving and while on tour, he was calling her whenever he could, but he did prefer to send her handwritten letters still. So he would still send these like notes and doodles and, um, all of the ones that she burned. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Um, she talks about his relationship with Julian, that he was, you know, caring and loving and very much like a happy father but it would come in bursts he'd slack on his fatherly duties realize how awful it was that he was doing so vow to be like the best dad ever really make an effort and then kind of fall back into the same old habits um so that's very back and forth but his generosity around this time is like pretty huge he bought houses for cynthia's mother for his aunt nimi um his other aunt who was helping raise his teenage half sisters who he did have a relationship with and cynthia really loved as well he also gave lots of money to his old friends who needed help to like burst boost their careers and um Mm, yeah while Cynthia wasn't as an extravagant spender. She was given like all she needed as well. She never felt like he wasn't giving her what she needed financially, at least. Um, One crazy thing that happened around now is that Lennon's dad suddenly made an appearance. His name's Alfie. Interesting. Yeah. He apparently found out finally that he had a rich and famous son and was like, oh, maybe I should try to rebuild this bridge. (laughs) So John, of course, was very wary of him, tried to develop a sort of relationship. Then John, then Alfie, who's almost 60 years old, ended up eloping with a 19-year-old girl. So that was a little weird. Um, there, 
John and Cynthia's connection to him didn't last very long. I do think that John did get in contact with him again before he passed away. I don't know how that went, though, because, of course, he wasn't with Cynthia at the time. Um, John was now beginning to shift more into the man like we know him to be. He's now experimenting with drugs like LSD specifically. Um, They had or they went to a party where the punch had been spiked and they all accidentally took it. And of course, Cynthia was horrified and really hated it. Um, John was the complete opposite. He was like, whoa, this is an interesting experience. So soon he began taking it like daily, like daily. And she really didn't like it because he, he... I didn't know this. Yeah. I just heard this recently because um, I've never done acid. And at this point in my life, I'm not going to. But somebody was telling me the other day that they wished that they could do it or like they have done it in the past, but apparently it's really inaccessible to get it. Like it's, it's not that easy to get, to get yeah. acid right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like back in the day where everyone just, you know, toted jugs of it around. Like, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But and John- plus it's probably more dangerous with like. Yeah. Not knowing where it's coming from yeah. and everything. Uh, John was loving it and he <laughs> definitely had bottles of it all around <laughs> well it's the 60s yeah. so um, not only did Cynthia not like it because he was turning jugs into a different person acid. jugs of acid uh, he was also inviting like strangers over at all hours of the night to like do drugs with him since Cynthia wasn't basically sounds like Frank Zappa yeah although not that he did drugs but she anyways. tried to talk him out of it his solution was you need to join (laughs) so cynthia decided okay fine i'll do it again she describes his parents in her book long story short scared her shitless never wanted to do it again john never tried to get her to do it again but of course he continued on um cynthia is definitely feeling more isolated and um often kind of is holding in her true feelings so as not to like upset john you know she's like anytime she did try to bring up an issue or whatever it would be shut down i guess she says in hindsight i should have spoken up but like john i hated confrontation or arguing i think our mutual failure to address or resolve painful issues was a major factor in the break in the eventual breakdown of our marriage we both had the ability to sit on our feelings but inevitably they would resurface as resentment I have no doubt that it would have made us stronger as a couple if we'd been able to deal with incidents like this more openly. But at the time, I could only take what felt like the best path. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, the first time in their relationship Cynthia is sort of looking ahead and being like, maybe this isn't going to work. But the boys had decided to give up touring and kind of focus on writing and producing more albums. So this was a positive as it meant John would be off for longer periods of time. So she kind of was looking forward to this and being like, well, maybe, maybe this is our time. We're going to reconnect. We're going to be a family. Um, they had one more U S tour left before they left a U.S. paper reprinted an older interview of John's where he was quoted as saying, Christianity will grow, go, not grow. Sorry. It will vanish and shrink. I don't, I needn't argue with that. I'm right. And I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. 
So Interesting. Was, yeah. So I've never heard that whole spiel before. Yes. I've just heard the we're bigger popular than the Beatles yeah. now or we're more popular. Or sorry, Jesus. we're more popular than <laughs> Jesus now. And, uh, and, you know, later he had said, well, I was just saying that in like in jest. Yeah. Like I was just like I w- wasn't serious. It yeah. Was, yeah. Of course, we know in 1966 that was controversial and many kind of American do-gooders got on a mission and they were relentless and within days the Beatles kind of were banned from the radio and it was all over the news and you know the Bible Belt basically was like really up in arms and John was receiving hate mail by the sack load uh though Sin says he also received plenty of supporting letters or supportive letters uh so you know it was kind of even John was shaken and really couldn't understand how some stupid comment could cause such a massive response um God, imagine what John Lennon would say about the state of America today. That would be like, uh, he would be so disappointed in America right now. But everyone is. Fuck yeah. Anyways, um, there's one specific piece of mail that affected him more than the others. It wasn't hateful. It was just a letter from a psychic simply stating that he was going to get shot in the States. It didn't give any more detail than that. And of course, he and Cynthia did their best to kind of brush it off. But that was on their minds before he left for tour. Of course, John did come home safe. But it is kind of chilling to know that that psychic, you know, in in the future would be kind of proven correct. Yeah. So John's first post-touring adventure was shooting the film How I Won the War. It was his first real acting role. And by now he had done you know, A Hard Day's Night and Help, which had come out the previous year as well. Um, I think it's funny to note that both John Lennon and Cynthia, as I mentioned with Cynthia, hated wearing their glasses. John even had glasses back in, like, art school days that he would not wear any chance he got as well. Like, they both hated their glasses. And he actually, I believe, wore contact lenses, but back then they were made of, like, glass and painful. Yeah. So he, like, did not like wearing them. Uh, the character that he was playing in the film were to wear, as Cynthia calls them, the granny glasses, like the old round glasses. And of course, John Lennon fell in love with those granny glasses and they would become an iconic part of his image mm-hmm. from then on. So he's now being more comfortable, I guess. Cynthia first heard of Yoko on around this time. This Interesting. Is, yes. John showed her an article that was about one of Yoko's films. It was a close-up of people's bottoms, like just shots of people's bottoms. She says John pointed at it and laughed and made a comment about how crazy the artist must be and that, you know, it must be a joke because, like, what kind of art is this, basically? Um, But then, and she doesn't give a time frame, so this could be weeks or months. I'm not really sure. One night... She noticed John was reading this tiny little book. And she was like, what is that? And it was, of course, Yoko Ono's book, Grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, what? What? This Yoko person? Like, what? And it was then she found out that John and Yoko had met at an art exhibition. Uh, but, of course, she had no idea how big a role Yoko was about to play. How could she? Um, apparently, I guess Yoko had her sights set on him from the get-go and began writing John letters and even showing up at their home when Cynthia wasn't around. So Cynthia was really oblivious to all this. And you know, it's true. Like, Yoko did 
want John and yeah. we all we love Yoko I do yeah. but she would be telling him that like just look for me in the clouds yeah you know they saying were... crazy shit like that yeah he, like he loved yeah um so yeah Cynthia is oblivious to John and Yoko but she's not oblivious to the fact that their marriage is suffering yeah um Cynthia mentions actually getting a nose job around this time because her self-esteem really was, yeah her self-esteem was taking such a toll that she felt like if she got rid of this small bump, I guess, uh. like, you know, all would be well. Literally, no one noticed that she had a nose job. No one noticed. She'd be like, do you notice anything different? And they'd be like, uh, your hair? No. Like, no one noticed. Um, I guess but that's it, better than it being a complete <laughs> botch job. True. And it did make Cynthia feel a little bit better about her appearance. And she does say she doesn't regret it. So at least she was happy with it. Anyway, after nine months of no touring, just working on their next album, which was Sgt. Pepper, things really aren't better between them. If anything, they're worse. Cynthia says John was taking drugs every day. He's like a full-blown addict right now. His health is suffering. He's not eating properly. She really feared you know, what would happen to him if, she, if he continued down this road. Now, George is getting into spirituality, learning about transcendental meditation, and around this time was encouraging the others to check it out. So John and crew, not Cynthia though, they all went to a conference where the Maharishi, who was the leader of the movement, was to speak and John came home really raving about it all. Now the Maharishi Mm -hmm. invited them all to this 10-day conference which was happening in Wales and he was very anti-drugs so Cynthia was like, oh, well maybe this will lead John down like a healthier path and our relationship could like, you know, kind of repair itself a little bit here so she was all for it now this was the first time the Beatles were traveling without Brian and the roadies and everything and so they had no one taking care of this no surprise they were a mess they arrived at the train station with only five minutes before departure time they all jumped out of the car and ran John ran to the train leaving Cynthia there with all their bags trying to catch up oh my So by the time she did catch up, the police were barricading the entrance and it was too late. John and the others were on the train. Cynthia's left on the platform in tears. Now to make matters worse, there is, of course, reporters on the platform who jumped on her, taking photos of her. She's so embarrassed. She's heartbroken. And Cynthia, of course, wasn't just crying about the train. She says, I was crying because the incident seemed symbolic of what was happening to my marriage. John was on the train speeding into the future and I was left behind. Left behind. Yeah. As I stood there watching the train disappear into the distance, I felt certain that the loneliness I was experiencing on that platform would become permanent one day. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was, she did of course get there, I should say. And it was, while they were on this trip in Wales, that they got word that Brian Epstein passed away. Now, Brian was only 32 years old. It was an accidental, like, barbiturate overdose, basically. Um, this, of course, was a huge, huge blow for the boys and what would eventually lead them to form their own company, which was Apple. Um, for those who want to hear more about Apple <laughs> and Apple music, check out our Chris O'Dell episode because you can hear all about that good stuff. I just found that book the other day and was like, shit, she's cool. Yeah, she's so cool. Yeah. That's a, that was one of the most fun episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get back to the Maharishi. Okay. 
the Maharishi, I guess the 10 day thing. Well, they didn't stay the 10 days cause they got word, but they, the Maharishi is also planning, um, this big experience at, back in India and they planned to go f- for February of 1968 in the, in the months leading up, um, John and Cynthia's relationship sort of went back and forth between distant and loving. John even said to her, the trip would be great for them. And they like, let's get through this rough patch. So Cynthia was like hopeful. She, um, a few days before they left, they went to the Maharishi's assistant house to finalize certain details for while they were away. So Cynthia walks in and she noticed this tiny woman sitting in the corner. Guess who? Yoko? Yes. Mm. So she's like, what? What? Yoko introduced herself and was silent for the rest of the time while the other like, others kind of finalized everything. John apparently ignored her and Cynthia was really confused about why Yoko was even there to begin with. But she got even more confused as they were leaving and John and Cynthia had a driver and his name is Anthony. And Anthony, of course, opens the car door for John and Cynthia. And before they can get in the car, Yoko jumps in their car. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so John shrugs at Cynthia. And they both get in the car. And finally, John asked Yoko, like, do you want to ride home? And Yoko was like, oh, yeah, please. Um, so they dropped her off. And, of course, Cynthia's mind is, like, racing. Like, why is Yoko there? How often is John seeing her? Like, how close are they? John, unfortunately, plays dumb. And Cynthia has no proof of anything until she finds this type note from Yoko with addressed to John. It was with the fan mail. She wasn't snooping. Um, nothing untoward was said in the letter, but it did make it clear they were in contact pretty often now. And that's something that John had been lying about. So she did confront him again. He shrugged it off like Yoko was just some like crazy nuisance. Like, oh, she's just some crazy artist. Like, I don't know. She's, you know, whatever. Cynthia dropped it for now, but she did she was kind of feeling inside like this is not right like there's more to this john's lying to me and if only john were honest from the get-go like yeah. imagine like it's john's fault <laughs> it's his fault <laughs> all right uh, so they head to india they plan to stay 10 weeks julian's with sin's mom back home the other Beatles and their ladies are there and jenny boyd jenny boyd's there mia farrow her sister prudence prudence you heard that right um a beach boy named mike love is there donovan's there uh ringo and marine lasted only 10 days before they left um paul and jane lasted one month cynthia first was enjoying her time there um she began to draw again and she was writing poetry for the first time so she was getting something out of the experience but as the days progressed Um, She realized this was not going to be like another honeymoon. This wasn't, you know, a healing relationship thing. In fact, John was colder than ever. Now, he would be out of their room in the early morning and kind of ignore her for the rest of the day until he finally announced, I don't want to share a room with you anymore. I need space. He spent most or all the rest of the time completely ignoring her. Um, Instead of being honest about his feelings he was telling her it was him i need to sort out my own shit whatever um cynthia found out later john was like receiving letters from yoko every day and like that's why he was leaving so early in the morning to like collect them and (sighs) yep yeah so they all ended up leaving around the two-month mark because the maharishi was accused of improper behavior with a female student and 
they didn't like that. But more than that, I think John was also becoming disillusioned with it all at that point. So um, he kind of believed that the Maharishi was more after money and fame than anything else. Uh, Cynthia was quite upset over it all. Obviously, things were awful with John, but personally, she was getting a lot of the meditation and like the whole experience. Like She did enjoy that part of it. So back home, tensions are still high, um, but in a strange, I, don't, I, I guess this is a tender moment or an honest moment at the very least, John actually came out and said to her, there have been other women you know sin. He finally admitted it. Mm-hmm. Cynthia, oh, bless her heart, she just told him, like, that's okay. And he said, you're the only one I've ever loved sin. I still love you and always will. So a few weeks later, some of their friends, including Donovan and Jenny Boyd and one of John's good friends, whose name was Alex Mardaz, Alexis Mardaz, who is known as Magic Alex. (laughs) I think John gave him that name. Um, They were going to Greece for a vacation and John was pushing Cynthia to go, even though he couldn't join. He was working on the White Album. So he's like, go, Cynthia, go. So she decides to go for it. She has this great vacation. On the way back home, they had lunch in Rome. It's so nice to be in Europe where everything's so close. They go from Greece to Rome for lunch. And when they're in Rome, Cynthia calls home and she tells John, like, I'm on my way home. She gets home in the afternoon, walks in the room. Yoko? Yes. John and Yoko are sitting in bathrobes facing each other on the floor. John looks up said hi Yoko didn't move and poor Cynthia was so stunned she blurted the first thing that she could think of which was we were looking forward to dinner in London after lunch in Rome and breakfast in Greece like do you want to go and John said no thanks and of course Cynthia like fled oh yeah that's sad. she says i was in shock operating on autopilot i had no idea how to react it was clear they had arranged for me to find them like that and the cruelty of john's betrayal was hard to absorb i could feel a wall around them that i could not penetrate in my worst nightmares about yoko i had not imagined anything like this their intimacy had been so powerful i felt like a stranger in my own house yeah so cynthia went to stay with friends that night including john's best friend magic alex who that night decides to confess his love to cynthia and put the moves on her cynthia was not impressed she was not having it um after a few days cynthia got the nerve to head back home and deal with the situation john acted like everything was normal when she arrived and during their talk like the jig is up right he once again tried to reassure her like Yoko is just unimportant she's like the others she, Cynthia and John actually made love like and John made more promises to her you're the only one blah 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 um, John was due to head back to the US with Paul for a meeting and Cynthia decided to take Julian and her mom to Italy for two weeks after John refused to let Cynthia come to America with him uh, I guess she needed a distraction as well from everything so Cynthia um, made some friends in Rome, including the hotel owner, uh, his son, his name Roberto, and they went out on the town and, of course, all innocent. Um, but one night they pull up to the hotel and who's there but Magic Alex. He walks up to Cynthia and says, I come with a message from John. He is going to divorce you, take Julian away from you, and send you um, back to Hoyland. Okay. Yeah. 
that yeah the awful so cynthia has like no time to process this she's like what and of course um, like terrible luck she wakes up with bad laryngitis and has to stay in the hotel room like all scared confused the papers were already covered in photos of john and yoko together hand in hand he really wasted no time going public yeah yeah um when cynthia was finally able to go back to england she went to her mom's and within hours there was a knock on the door with divorce papers for cynthia um, the reason John cited for the divorce was that Cynthia was cheating on him with that Roberto guy. Um, she hadn't cheated, but it clear I'm just tisk tisking yeah. over here. And it's pretty clear that John was having her followed and like used them hanging out to his advantage. Oh, okay. This is the part where we were talking about at the beginning where we hate John. Yeah, now. we're getting into it. All right, all this ridiculous behavior instead of just being like friendly about it. Like it, it's awful, but there's a way way better ways to go about divorcing someone yeah um john was refusing whatsoever to see cynthia to speak to her every time she had to contact john now she had to go through the beatles camp and like someone there had to like pass the message on to him finally john agrees to a meeting um cynthia and john still had the house uh and john and yoko or sorry cynthia and John still had that house. John was like, you stay the, at the house with Julian. John and Yoko decided to take their flat that was in London. So the meeting was at now Cynthia's house, which used to be theirs, obviously. He arrives with Yoko by his side, of course. And basically what happened is John accuses her of cheating over and over again and then promptly left with Yoko. So Cynthia decides, like, I have to counter Sue. I have to cite his adultery as the cause and kind of prepared herself for an ugly battle and of course both her and julian are a mess at this point and julian's very confused over everything um cynthia says no one in the beatles camp um not the guys the girls no one but paul mccartney reached out to her Hmm. uh he came over he was very supportive and caring and complained about how john was now taking yoko everywhere including the studio and it was well, he off was probably feeling pushed to the side, too, Absolutely. because it was used to be Absolutely. John and Paul, and now it's John and Yoko. Now, Yoko did end up getting pregnant around this time, and the due date sort of proved that Cynthia's divorce citing was honest, so John agreed not to contest her divorce petition. Sadly, John and Yoko did lose that baby at six months. Um the divorce ended up being pretty ugly, of course. When it came to money, John offered her 75000 because, and I'm quoting John, you're not worth anymore. Yeah. Um, in the end, she did get custody of Julian. She got like 100000 and 100000 more put away for Julian. Mm-hmm. Um, the divorce was finalized November 8th, 1968. Now, John was entirely different. He was very cold-hearted. She really saw no signs of the man that she grew up with and loved and uh she was very lonely and alone but someone was giving her support and it's interesting who it was none other than roberto roberto the man from italy he came to london he heard about their split he called her up long story short he's a great guy he loved julian julian loved him and soon cynthia did as well they all moved in together um john and yoko had married a few months after 
John got divorced, Yoko had also been married and needed her divorce finalized before marrying John as well. Um, Sometimes I forget how close these timelines all are. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Cynthia, of course, is like baffled by all the things John and Yoko are doing, like the nude album cover, the famous bed-ins, which apparently also very much confused Julian, who was like, why is daddy in bed on TV? Yeah. What is happening? Poor guy. Um, Julian is about six now, and for the first time in eight months, John decides, oh, I want to see Julian, and he call or he has his people call Cynthia because he can't do it on his own, apparently. Cynthia is told by Anthony, their driver, who came to pick up Julian, that it was actually a good thing Julian hadn't seen him any sooner because John and Yoko had been in a bad way for those eight months experimenting with heroin. Um, John became, like, a very bad addict. Uh, I guess he kind of put hints of it in, like, happiness is a warm gun, mm-hmm. like, I need a fix, and cold turkey, of course. Mm-hmm. And... Um, also, you just need to look at him during that time, and you can see physically he's at his, like, weakest, his skinniest. Um, but they were clean now, and Julian began finally, you know, staying with John and Yoko for some weekends. Yeah. On July 31st, 1970, Cynthia ended up marrying Roberto. So she's now 30. He's 28. They had a housewarming um, shortly after. They did invite John and Yoko. Um, they actually came, as did Maureen and Ringo and Twiggy and Lulo and Morris Gibb. Oh, now I guess a couple as well. Yeah. Um, for the first time, Yoko actually spoke to Cynthia in a chatty kind of friendly way, talking about Julian's visits and how much they loved it when Julian, um, Cynthia in her book seems to think that Yoko's like trying too hard and that like, she doesn't like that Yoko's talking to her, but. I mean, that's one point of view. Another point of view is Yoko's trying. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm not taking sides. I love both of them. Of course. John only says hi and soon after bye to Cynthia, though. So there's no progress between them. Um, In September of 71, Cynthia learned that John and Yoko had moved to the States thanks to it being on the news. Yeah. She called the Beatles camp to see what this meant for, like, Julian's visits and got a call from Yoko saying that from now on, um, Cynthia was to speak to her about Julian. Oh, okay. Um, John was still refusing to talk to her. Um, The irony, of course, is this is when, um, you know, Imagine was coming out. And so here's this guy talking about peace, but, like, refusing to create some within his own family. Yeah. Ugh. So it would be three, (laughs) (laughs) and it would be three entire years before Julian would see John again. So those three years led to both John and Cynthia taking a break from their spouses. Cynthia would end up divorcing Roberto. I think he was still too young and like was like a partier and like didn't want to settle. wasn't interested in making money. They're all so young still. Exactly, like they're younger than us right now. So like. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was a little too much. They divorced in 1973. Same year, John and Yoko took a break and John ends up having an affair with May Pin. Right. Do you think that John was so pissy about everything because since Cynthia did end up with Roberto, that maybe he did go back and say, oh, she was having an affair. This just proves it. 
and his whole it, jealousy weirdness have, probably that have, like kept it going a yeah. little longer but he was definitely like already not speaking to her and everything before okay. that but i'm sure i'm sure when that did happen he was like i knew it i knew mm-hmm. it yeah um so with may Pang in his life now cynthia hoped john would want julian back in his life and it was actually worked out that Cynthia and Julian were going to go with Elton John and his crew over to America because Elton and his crew were going to tour. And so she traveled, I think, by boat or something because it was a while with Elton and, and his crew. Had a good time with them. Julian and Cynthia arrive and John and May are there waiting for them. So they all end up in L.A., Cynthia actually really liked May and she saw a more gentle side to John with her and overall the trip went really well and for the first time since the divorce her and John were talking in a friendly manner um Julian visited him or John and May again at Christmas and uh that was shortly before John would go back to Yoko who was pregnant and she gave birth to Sean on October 9th, 1975, which was John Lennon's 35th birthday. Mm-hmm. They share the same birthday. Now, um, Cynthia was seeing a man named John Twist, and he became her third husband on May 1st, 1976. They moved to Wales together. They bought a townhouse, opened up this little bistro in the bottom, and like a bed and breakfast in the top. And um, Julian didn't meet his half-brother until... Sean was two years old when he finally got to visit his dad again uh Julian I believe felt very out of place um you can find a lot of articles online of Julian talking about his relationship with John during this time and how distant he felt from him and he never really did get to experience John as a real father and I guess what he was when he was visiting New York he was like oh here's my dad being a dad like a proper dad to Sean um you know, making up for whatever mistakes he made with Julian, but what good is that to Julian, right? Um, I don't know if John thought it was, like, too late to try to repair that, or I don't know. Um, As Julian got older, things were turning out better, though. John would call more often, and um, with Julian now showing interest in music, he would kind of involve Julian a little bit more, like, musically. He was playing him tracks, asking for his opinions and stuff. Julian was really, or Cynthia was really hopeful that um, they would have some sort of adult friendship now that Julian was, like, in his teen years. And that was progressing finally nicely. Um, unfortunately, of course, we're heading into December of 1980. Cynthia was actually visiting Maureen. Mm-hmm. They had this casual night together. They were reminiscing of all the old times. And Cynthia went to bed. Um, but she was soon awakened by Maureen screaming. And it was Ringo who was phoning her saying, like, John was right. sh- had just been shot. So all Cynthia could think about was Julian, who was back home in Wales. So they immediately got their things Maureen and her and Ringo's son, Zach, and Cynthia all got in a car. They immediately went back to Wales. Um, Cynthia wanted to get there to tell Julian the news himself before anyone else could. Julian is 17, the same age that both Cynthia and John were when they lost a parent. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but when they reached the house, it was of course swarmed by press and Julian knew. And, um, of course, Cynthia and Julian have a grieving period together there before Cynthia calls Yoko. Um, Julian, of course, wanted to go to New York and Yoko booked him a flight though made it clear I'm inviting Julian like not you Cynthia but it's too bad hey, you know um they don't have a relationship yeah um they drove him to the airport he called home when he got there of course hundreds of mourners were outside the Dakota and apparently Sean didn't know that his father had passed away yet Yoko was waiting for the right moment to tell him um it must have been the weirdest vibe there like I can't even imagine after a couple days of grieving, um, Cynthia was kind of forced to return to normal life since she couldn't afford to keep her bistro shut. And Sean was finally told about his father's death by both Yoko and Julian. So okay. they were there together for him. Um, Cynthia talks about Julian's time in New York City around this. Uh, he really did feel awkward around Yoko. Um, he, he says Yoko was kind of cold and some other things you know i these seem more like assumptions on yoko's motives like for instance yoko asked julian to come to her room where she showed julian the urn and apparently this was pretty traumatizing for julian but i'm sure that was not yoko's intention i'm sure she she was doing it like in the opposite way um she also asked him to stay for the central park strawberry fields groundbreaking ceremony and had given him john's hat and scarf to wear and cynthia and julian assumed she did this to make him look like john for the press and you know make it look like they were a happy family but we don't know yoko's intentions and maybe she was trying to help julian feel close to his father like here's like your dad's scarf and his hat yeah like um yoko offered julian one of his guitars one of john's guitars uh julian picked one but then yoko said not this one and instead gave him two other guitars that he didn't recognize so julian was really unhappy because he felt that he'd had no connection to those guitars and he also felt it was unfair of course that sean got the that Mm. one guitar as well as all the equipment and everything that was at the dakota um Cynthia definitely also blames Yoko for John's behavior toward her after the divorce. Um, Cynthia actually became friends with May Pang after John's death, and May told her that Yoko was the one telling John to stay away from Cynthia and that Cynthia wanted him back and all this. But in the end, it's John's decision whether or not he's going to treat you know his ex-wife with in a respectful, courteous way, like not Yoko's. So like even if yoko was saying like i don't think you should talk to her that's john's decision you know right like he's the one who totally yeah um of course it didn't help that yoko inherited the entire estate and it took about 15 or so years for julian to get his inheritance and stuff there was like john did not prepare for death he um all of the houses were still in his name which of course now went to yoko's name so like his aunt Mimi's house, his, um, the house that he'd set up for his sisters, like everything was just up in the air. Cause yeah. So he didn't have like maybe a will. A will. Yeah. Okay. Unfortunately. Um, Cynthia divorced her third husband, John twist in 83. 
Uh, Julian spent the years after his father's death becoming a musician himself. In 1989, Cynthia was approached to help create this charity concert in John's name called Come Together. And many big names were on board, but Cynthia went to Yoko for her blessing. And Yoko said, like, I don't want to take part in this because I'm planning a similar event. So Cynthia's event got canceled and Yoko's was, yeah, Yoko's was sadly not a success at like whatsoever. So it kind of blew up in both their faces. If they joined together, it probably would. Yeah. I mean, it's called come together. Yeah. Oh my together. Oh, seriously. Seriously, girls. Right. Um, One really cool thing happened around this time, though. Um, Julian was now a touring musician. And when he played in New York City, he asked Sean to come up and play a number with him. So both Yoko and Cynthia were there to see Sean and Julian perform on stage. And they're they're, you know, they're trying to have a brotherly relationship. Yep. Um, Cynthia dated a man named Jim Christie for 17 years before meeting um, a Barbados nightclub owner named Noel Charles, who she married in June of 2002. In 2005, the book I read for this episode, John, was released. Um, in the early or in the 2000s, she attended like, numerous tributes and events to, related to the Beatles and related to John with Julian, of course. And um, Cynthia's husband, Noel, passed away in 2013. And two years later, Cynthia herself on April 1st would pass away from cancer. Mm. Um, her book ends with something so strong. I couldn't ha- like it's it's not the nicest ending, but it says a lot. OK, she ends it with I never stopped loving John, but the cost of that love has been enormous. Someone asked me recently whether if I'd known at the beginning what lay ahead, would I have gone through with it? I had to say no. Of course, I could never regret having my wonderful son. But the truth is that if I'd known as a teenager what falling in love with John Lennon would lead to, I would have turned around right then and walked away. Wow. Yeah. I think her story is like also like (sighs) anyone who thinks fame and fortune is like this, this amazing thing. Like I think a lot of it, like the Beatlemania and stuff, that was so overwhelming and it's like fame isn't a nice thing yeah having all your privacy like all of that out there that's not nice you know is hers is almost like a cautionary tale you know yeah and that's so interesting that it ends that way because even so after all of these you know books and all of these stories it's a lot of the times it's like would i have done it over again i wouldn't have changed a thing yeah and this is just like I would have walked away yeah, from him that moment. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I learned a lot. That was really good. I feel for Cynthia and I really hope those last, you know, couple decades of her life that she got a piece and, you know, had a happier time with. I mean, she was with that guy for 17 years and yeah. then another one after. So. Yeah, so she had a lot of good loves in her life, too. And uh, sounds like her relationship with Julian was good. And yeah, and and just hopefully that uh, writing the book for her was a cathartic and healing experience before she passed. For sure. I mean, her time with John was basically, I guess, from when she was like, what, 18, 19 to like 28, 29. Yeah. Like, they were kids. Yep. There's a lot of like learning there. And I'm sure... It would it would have been interesting had John lived longer, 
what their relationship would have grown into because surely yeah and surely you'd hope that john would continue to grow as a human being and get to like a better point yeah yeah well well there you go there you go thank you that was an excellent excellent episode you're most welcome all right well that's it for today yeah and if you haven't listened we got the chris odell we got Mm -hmm. yoko and john yeah we got astrid and Stu. there are plenty other beatles episodes that you can go back to that's right and we've got some more interviews coming up for you in the future and i'm gonna bring us back to the 80s and 90s for an 80s and 90s groupie which is gonna be really funny um yeah and make sure to follow us on instagram uses and stuff podcast twitter at shanti links yeah and if you like what you hear write an itunes review please please do all right everybody thank you so much for listening thank you links for an incredible episode you're most welcome see you next week but i say it just to reach you Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H Y P E R T H E T I C A L.